Friends, we are looking at Ephesians chapter 1 today, and we're going to begin what I hope will be a five-week just exploration, deep dive into understanding what is this treasure that is ours in union with Christ. This is a theme that's been in part of my studies for a while, and so I want to look just in Paul's writings just over these five weeks and understand what this means. And I was going to go anywhere but Ephesians 1 because I like to be avant-garde and creative and surprise you, but Ephesians 1 is the meat and potatoes of our union with Christ, and so that's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to begin. And so I'm going to read what is in the Greek, one run-on sentence, and I will emphasize in my reading every time I see him place us in the person of Christ. So I'm going to start reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What a mouthful. Let's pray. Jesus, if we would understand, know, embrace, live, breathe, but a fraction of this sentence, how glorious the Christian life would be. Let us not just nibble around the edges. Let us feast and be full that we are joined to Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, friends, if we're going to talk about union with Christ, we've got to start by defining union with Christ. We wrote this profession of faith and put it in your bulletin. You can take it with you and, and study that thing and keep it in front of you. But, but let's kind of work on a, a, a working definition for us because clearly Ephesians wants to establish that anything and everything that we have from God isn't just from him or by him or because of him. It takes great pains to use that preposition to say all of this is happening in him. This is located in the person of Jesus and our union with him. Now, when I became a believer, I remember peers saying, hey, this thing is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. How many of you have heard that or used that yourself? And, and I think we mean well. We mean, hey, it's not this outward sign of religion, it's this inward, vibrant relationship. But actually, both words have good things to them. 
I hope this is a religion if you mean a set of doctrines and a set of practices and habits and rhythms and calendar days to celebrate. I hope we have a religion and I hope we have a relationship. I hope it's a warm, living, breathing thing with an actual person. It's not just doctrine on a page. It's a true person who dwells in our midst right now, even as we talk about him. But union with Christ will add this. It's not just a religion and a relationship. It is a relocation. I don't just believe this. I don't just know and interact with him. I have now been removed from my old life and old self, and I have been placed in the person of Jesus, and Jesus himself has placed himself inside of me, and I dwell with him. One theologian defines union with Christ as that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength of their blessedness and salvation. But if I'm sitting at the dinner table with my kids defining union with Christ, I would say when we're believers, we now live in Jesus and Jesus now lives in us and every good thing God has for us flows through this bond with Jesus. He's in me. I'm in him. Every good thing he has for me flows through this bond. That couldn't be clearer in our passage because even as Paul rattles off blessing after blessing, he never leaves the refrain in Christ, in him, in the beloved. Nine times he repeats himself to make this clear. Becoming a believer is not like learning to ride a bike. It's not like Jesus is there at the beginning to give us a push and off we go wobbling on our way to see how we will do in this life. Paul means to say that past, present, future, every good thing we had, have, will have is ours because God has joined himself to us. This is a big deal to Paul. He's going to go on and reference union with Christ over 200 times in his letters. That's direct references to this union. That's not images. That's not pictures. That's not extended descriptions. That is direct references to union with Christ over 200 times in his letters. Let that sink in as to the importance of this for the Christian life. Now, we got five weeks to camp out here, and so we've defined it, and what I want to do every single week is just take out a piece of this, a facet of our union with Christ, and I just want to look at it, I want to marvel over it, I want to study it, I want to understand how we could live it, and this week, our first facet of union with Christ, the first truth about it is blessing. Blessing is the first facet. I get that from verse 3. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Isn't that a beautiful redundancy? Church, we are blessed with blessings. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am blessed with blessings. Can you testify to that? Not one of them is withheld from us. There is not a single thing we need that we do not already possess in the person of Christ, God gives them all and God gives them lavishly. Do you believe that? Now, 
October is my birthday month. We've been celebrating all month. We don't just do a day. We do a month. This is my month. It's not your month. This is about me. And, and I did on my actual birthday, which was on the 7th, what I think I've done my entire childhood and adult life. On my birthday morning, the presents are there, and I just jump into them, and I pretend to read the birthday cards, and I throw them away, and I rip through the stuff, and everything's there. And then what I like to do, I don't know if this is my OCD or what, but I like to get the wrapping paper aside and I just like to arrange the gifts just so. You know, tall ones in the back, short ones in the front. I, I just want to see them all there in front of me. It's not that I forgot what I have or don't know what I just got. It's just I, I like to see it nicely presented to myself on my birthday. And I think that's exactly what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter one. Even as I read this, if you have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, I'm not sure there are many surprises in Ephesians one. There might be. You might have read something this morning, you're about to hear something that you're like, oh my goodness, I did not know I also had that in Christ. There may or may not be some surprises, but I think the power of Ephesians 1 is Paul saying, you know what, let's just get it all here on the table, tall ones in the back, short ones up front. Let's just line up the blessings that we have in Jesus so that we can see the sum of them together. Friend, I don't know if you are feeling anxious this morning or low this morning or thick in your fight with sin this morning or happy and you don't even know why this morning. But here's an invitation to think on the blessings, the benefits, the gifts we have in Jesus and Paul arranges them for us past, present, future. What are my past blessings? What are my current blessings? What are the blessings to come? And let's just walk through them and marvel at them. Number one, past blessings. We get so nearsighted in our Christian lives, some of us actually think my relationship with Jesus started the day I was converted. That's how narrow a vision we have on this thing. Like before that moment of my conversion, I was just one human being in a sea of billions of human beings until I stepped forward and trusted in Jesus. And then God said, my, 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 what do we have here? Who is this young, attractive, smart person who just trusted in me? And Ephesians says, that's crazy. Verse four. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. That's his time frame. And verse five, in case we miss verse four, he predestined us for adoption. And verse 11, in case we miss verse four and verse five, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The day I was converted might have been the first day that I gave real, true thought to Jesus. But Ephesians says that is not the first day that Jesus gave real, true thought to me. He planned this from before 
the foundations of the world. That's how deep this salvation goes. Now, companies just intuitively know that long track records show credibility. If you've been around as a, as a company for a long time, you must know something about what you're doing, right? And we know that, which is why I think it's funny when a company will have a t-shirt and it says, this is my logo, this is my company, established 2021. And it's like, bro, you've been doing this for two years. Like, how do I know you're going to be around tomorrow? But when you see a company that says we were established in 1921, unless you're a technology company, it's like, you must know what you're doing. You have stood the test of time. You've been here for a century. You must know what you're doing. Friend, if you're a believer in Christ, this thing was not established in 2021 or 2011 or 2001 or whenever you repented and trusted in Jesus. God is placing the tap root of your salvation not on your conversion day, but before the foundations of the world, you are rooted into the person of Christ Jesus himself. You have past blessings. But what does that mean for the present? There is a day of our conversion. There is a day where we repent of our sin and we do trust in Jesus. Some of us remember the day, the time, the hour, the outfit, what we were wearing when we became a believer. Praise God, that's amazing. Some of us could give you a month. Some of us could give you a year. Some of us could give you a season like my childhood or college or sometime. It, it doesn't matter that we know the precise date, only that we understand there is a precise moment in which I am born again. I pass from darkness to light. I pass from outside of Christ to inside Christ. There is a moment when I become a believer which makes this slightly confusing in our time frame but not in God's. There was a moment before I trusted in Christ that even though I was chosen before the foundations of the world, God stood in wrath over me and my sin until he brought me to repentance and faith. And then when that moment happened, it's like the floodgates of what God had in store for me from the foundations of the world all of a sudden come gushing out into my life at conversion when God makes true on his past promises. I remember back when there was a big to-do about the Lake Murray Dam. I remember when there was just one dam sitting there, we didn't have the backup dam and and we, we were worried that this thing could break. You could have an earthquake or something could happen and it could break. And truly, you realize that dam is holding back 650 billion gallons of water. And should that thing go without the second one there, it would raise the river levels 125 feet. I'm talking like over the Gervais Street Bridge. And you would feel this thing for 35 miles. That's what a dam looks like. And that's the bad kind of dam breaking. But Ephesians 1 is the good kind of dam breaking. Billions of gallons of God's blessings in Christ prepared from before the foundations of the world held now by this 
thin little dam of my conversion moment, once that happens, and once God has made that happen, it flies open, and the blessings that he has in store for us just come gushing out into the parched spiritual poverty of my life and just consumes me with life and goodness and living water. Paul doesn't have time to list all these. I mean, he can't even go there. He gives us a title over all of them. He says we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In case he forgets to mention something, he means everything. But then he just rattles off a few, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, knowledge of his will. You go on to read his other letters and there's more. You go on to read the New Testament and there's more. You go on to read the covenant blessings of the Old Testament and there's more. It's just more and more and more. There's no poverty in the church. It's all wealth. Paul says in my union with Jesus, I'm a son and daughter to him in adoption. In union with Jesus, I am bought out of my old life of slavery to sin in redemption. In union with Jesus, I'm cleansed of all my sins, past and present and future through forgiveness. All of these are ours, and all of them come gushing forth in the blessings that God has in store for us in Christ. You have them. So that's the past, that's the present. What's in store in the future? And I want you to hear this because church, those whom God chose in Christ from eternity past, who he now blesses in Christ in the present, he will not fumble this good work in the future. Union with Christ assures us of our salvation. I find what Paul is about to do here in this passage, in these next few lines, utterly shocking. Especially when you know who he's writing to, because we preached through the book of Acts, and we saw the church plant in Ephesus in Acts 19, and this is a hairy city. I mean, Ephesus is a tough spot. It was full of sexual sin. It was full of idolatry. It was full of witchcraft. It was full of all kinds of fleshly sin in the Roman Empire. Whatever there was, it was full of that. And we know when people come to faith in Christ, they bring that junk with them. If you had an addiction, if you have trauma, if you have baggage, if you have a history, if you have patterns of of treating the world or other people in a certain way, when you come to Jesus, it's not like day one he answers all of that. You just bring that junk with you into the church, then you start banging into each other in the church, and it creates a situation. And that's what the church in Ephesus looked like, and that's what Columbia Presbyterian Church looks like, and that's what every true church looks like, a group of sinners assembled. Knowing that, I would have a little pastoral pause if I'm talking to a hairy church like Ephesus or a hairy church like Cola Press. Like, let's not get willy-nilly just assuring everybody of their salvation, right? Because that could backfire. Why don't we just wait and see is the church going to prove itself in its salvation. You know what I mean? Like, you've made a profession of faith, but let's just wait and see if you're going to make good on your profession of faith. 
Do you really mean it? And will you really keep coming and assembling? And would you put away witchcraft and sexual sin? And will you pledge to the Moore campaign? And will you volunteer in the nursery? And will you bear all the fruits in keeping with repentance? If, if I'm not seeing a lot of Christian elbow grease, then I'm not ready to start handing out assurances of salvation. Like you, you come halfway church and I'll come halfway. You prove yourself and I'll give you some assurances based on that proof. But Paul doesn't do that at all because Christ doesn't do that at all. If he's chosen you before the foundation of the world and he has burst forth the floodgates of his blessings upon you, then he's just going to lavish you with words of assurance again and again and again. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him at your conversion were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our salvation, of our inheritance. Do yourself a favor today and savor the words seal and guarantee because in union with Christ, we are sealed for heaven. That sounds a lot like 1 Peter 1.5 that says, by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Once God has put his seal on a new believer by his Holy Spirit, who can break that seal? Who can break that seal? Can tribulation or distress, or persecution, break it? Can the murderous threats and temptations of the devil break it? Can our daily fight, hourly fight with sin and addiction, that seems like a lot of days it's winning, can that break it? If we have ever asked the question, have I lost my salvation? Or have I fallen out of favor with God? Or will I really re reach the celestial city? Ephesians says we're actually asking, has something broken God's seal? Is there something greater outside me than within me if I dwell in the person of Christ? And Ephesians could not say louder or more clearly, with a resounding, no, no. That is not possible once God has placed his seal on a believer. We are sealed, and finally, in union with Christ, we are guaranteed for heaven. In Christ, God's Holy Spirit living in us is the guarantee of our inheritance. Did you know the Holy Spirit was doing this? in addition to everything else he's doing. He's a counselor. He's an encourager. He speaks God's word to us. He mortifies sin in us. He helps us walk in step with him. He does our union with each other within the church. He does all these wonderful things. Do you know he's also doing something else? God has placed himself inside of us as a down payment and a guarantee that he will receive us in salvation. 
I don't know how you picture the last day, but often we say, it's like me standing before God and him asking me alone by myself, why should I let you into heaven? And I'm like racking my brain for everything I learned in Juice and Jesus. I got to get this answer right. I got to get this answer right. But Ephesians puts a little flavor on this when it says, when I come before the Father on that last day, I'm actually in the person of Jesus and God's son Jesus is in me and God's very Holy Spirit dwells inside of me as a down payment of my inheritance. And when God sees his son and sees his spirit in the person of a believer, I don't think there's anything to ask. I think he joyfully, willingly, lovingly, with all graciousness, receives us to himself because we are himself, him in us, us in him for the blessed reunion of Father, Son, Spirit, and Church. That's the blessing of union with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we have inherited so much and yet we think on it so little would you expand our minds and our hearts our imaginations to know the good that is ours past present and future in Christ would we hold it love it relish it revel in it know that it is ours because of your work through Jesus and we ask it in his name amen